You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms, specifically the new shotgun from Savage called the Renegade. Now, the Renegade is a badass shotgun, and it has a dual-regulating inline valve gas system. The patented self-regulating gas system allows high-power and low-power loads to cycle with the same consistency. This means 3-inch magnums down to lower recoil 2 and 3-quarter cartridges. If you want to find out more information about the Savage Renegade, visit savagearms.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, we've got an important message with you before we get this podcast started. Due to the coronavirus, a lot of us are aware that there's uh, a lot of stay-at-home time. But because of stay-at-home time means that there's not a lot of fundraising events for great organizations like the Quality Deer Management Association. A lot of events, banquets, and fundraising um, things have been taken off the calendar. So they're still trying to operate, and uh, it's crucial that we continue to support them even though we can't go to those normal banquets. So they've got a lot of great things you can do, but one of the biggest things that you can do right now, especially if you're a deer hunter, is enroll in the QDMA Deer Steward 1. It's all online. We've both taken the classes, and uh, there's over 16 hours of video instruction through the QDMA Steward 1 course Tons of great information about the biology, physiology, habitat, and just everything to do with whitetail deer. So, Not only to make you a better deer manager, but also a better deer hunter. You just know the animal inside and out by the end of it. So that's super important. Good, good use of time, honestly, if you're just cooped up looking for something to do. And a fantastic way to continue to support uh, QDMA as an organization, what they're doing for deer and habitat across the country. And because everyone is, is home, they're running a discounted price currently, so you can go over and check it out at QDMA.com. All righty. So this one, this one's been brewing. It's been the brewing. 
Um, it's it's one of those like every once in a while, I don't know, probably once a month, we have a podcast that's been kicked around brewing for a while, and so. And and honestly, they, sometimes they start out just like this one with with a, a, a phrase or just a thought that we had. And it's like, oh, we need to we need to build upon that like idea. And this is one of those. It, it, it's, uh, as you can tell, tell from the title, it's probably one you're like, okay, which direction are they going with this? But I, I definitely need to, I need to hear this because uh, I fall probably into one of these two categories. Um, but but what, are, what are the Land Legacy guys having to say about being a producer or a consumer? That's right. And also, this is a very important message that can hopefully, hopefully you guys will share this, and we're challenging you to share this with your buddies. But really, uh, we have a mixed crowd that listen to this podcast, but this is for you younger guys, uh, especially. Um, you guys that are our age, even younger, um, that might be in a little bit different phase in your hunting transition as far as uh, where you're at mentally. Are you... Uh, kind of that you can you kind of transition from your your bloodthirst to fill and tags to later on in life you kind of get that conservation mindset um to where you're thinking about how many you know you're thinking about your kids or grandkids um it's kind of important or it's really it's not kind of it's really important for you guys um to start thinking about this as we continue moving forward through conservation or as we continue to move the conservation ball forward yeah, I, I think that um, oftentimes the, the the phrase conservationist and, and hunter are almost like put together. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, if you're one, you're the other. But but there's definitely a, a spectrum in which activities and time and devotion, everything can kind of separate, let's say, the two of them. Yeah. Where, the, where the rubber, I, I guess, meets the road. And, and we're not trying to like label things and, and, and people and try and – stir the pot let's say but but at the same time we we have to bring awareness to the fact that that maybe some activities or maybe some desires to fill tags or to reach limits or whatever may not always be the best situation in your given regions so the begs the question and the phrase are you a producer or are you a consumer and and you can kind of read the lines of where we're going with this but Obviously, a producer is someone who who increases the opportunity for wildlife and populations to exist in a given space, area, region, whatever it may be. Whereas a consumer is going to just reap, rape the, <laughs> the land, let's say, of those populations. But but at the same time, if you're just consuming, you're not improving or producing additional. You're not replacing anything. You're no. just you're just traveling you're just living the good life taking advantage of all of it and then just checking out when it comes time to actually put the time back in to ensure future game populations or future populations of our wildlife and and i know a lot of people are like well dang guys i've i've got limited time i don't have ground that i that i own or or have the ability to manage but there are so many different types of things that you can do and we'll touch on a lot of those those different things today um and and we're not trying to again like step on toes but but simply just Mm -hmm. almost let's let's hit a little bit of a pause button and and slow down to think about as we're entering into turkey season we've done several podcasts here recently about 
turkey numbers, turkey biology, reproduction rates, and, and even the Seth and I talked about this last. We touched on it towards the mm-hmm. tail end of the podcast. So now we're jumping into it full force, devoting a, a full podcast to this very topic. So and we're driving down the road. So oh, if you yeah. hear a little bit of background noise, that's that's what you're hearing is Interstate 44. And probably cruising. the potholes of Oklahoma roads. Yeah, you might hit a few. Or well, we're almost in Missouri to live the good life. So. That's right. And, and season opens up, turkey season opens up very, very soon. Well, when as, this, this yeah, podcast releases, right. it'll be turkey season. It'll be turkey season. Hopefully there'll be um, some incredible hunts and some just good times in the turkey woods with, with good friends. So we're certainly looking forward to that. And you know what? This is the first podcast that we've done together Sitting down together, not over the phone in a long time, too. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully... Can we go back? Oh, come on. <laughs> He's missed he me. He got uglier. He missed me. <laughs> um, oh. So, I think at first off, it begs the question is, how far does just buying a license and being a hunter get us these days? Because I think that... It gets you a lot of talk. It gets you to when you were talking just a little bit ago. It made me think of talking the talk and walking the walk. Yeah, we can all talk the talk about conservation and how hunting is conservation. By now, you've heard it from everybody. You've probably told all your friends. We all take pride in the fact that since I am a hunter, therefore I am a conservationist. Right? 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 That's what it says. That's what we're told. That's what it says. Our tags and our purchasing of gear and ammunition and everything Which is, is going true. into conservation. Yeah, that's all great. That's de- definitely true. That's a number one funding of conservation efforts is driven by hunters. That's all great. Let's just state the obvious. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. It's gotten us here to where we are today. Which is, which is an amazing model that, that we self-impose this regulation upon ourselves to be able to enjoy what we do enjoy. But, but as we know, the world changes. Things change. And, and, and what happened, you know, back in the, I don't know, was it the 40s, 30s, 40s? Or, or and beyond. Yeah. yeah. And, and beyond, it, it changes. That's a long time. So, so what has occurred and what has changed, and, and it certainly begs the question, now in the present day, is that enough? Is it enough to buy a license and, and call yourself a conservationist and, and not do anything else? Not, not pick up a chainsaw, not pick up a drip torch, not pick up and use herbicide appropriately in the right places. Whatever it is, whatever your disturbance is... Is just the license enough? I think if you if you were to just give us a metaphor or an example, we jump in this truck, we just filled up on gas, and knowing... Hey, how about them gas prices, though? <laughs> <laughs> knowing them, uh, uh, we're, in a, we're in a tundra, so our gas mileage is known to not be great. Mm-hmm. But it's like we're in a vehicle. You are a consumer, dude. We're, we're in a vehicle, and it's like, you know what? I don't think we're going to have to stop and get gas. Let's make it to Kentucky. You and I both know we would not make it. No. We're on a road of, of in a direction that we know that we want to get there, but we're not going to stop and put the gas in it to ensure that we can make it. Yeah. We're just going to keep driving until we run out of fuel. That's that's the direction we're at right now. Yeah, with absolutely. just buying tags and just scraping by, 
not trying to recruit any new hunters, retain new hunters. We're just going along, living our happy life. We're on a road that's not going to make it in the future. We're not. We're focused too much on our individual gains and not so much the gains of the overall population. Population of of hunters, but also the population of the game species in which you are pursuing. Um, and and it, we we talked about quail, we've talked about turkeys, and both of them are on, on a similar rough grass. trend. Yeah, absolutely. And and all those species are very very disturbance dependent. Um, whereas the 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 larger animal you go, as we're we're talking, you know, in relation to deer not as 100% necessary for them to have those same disturbances or quality of habitat to be able to make it and still be there present to chase. But maybe for deer, if we keep buying licenses, yeah, we'll be fine. But but what about all these other things that I certainly care about? If you're listening to this podcast, really strong possibility that you probably care about too. What about all these other things that we have to be able to come together and say, I'm not just a consumer because you and I both know I'll be a consumer for the rest of my life. Like this is, this is an incredible activity. Um, something that gets the heart pounding, something we always look forward to. And, but, but I also know I have to be a producer if I want to be a consumer. I have to wear both hats. It's not like I can, it's not like I can just be a consumer and, there's going to be a plethora or plenty later on in life. Or not to say that if you are just a producer that that's a bad thing, but if you are just a producer, you can be, therefore, a consumer too. But if we don't have those producers out there, we can't have plenty to consume. No. I mean, it's a a simple logic to it all. If you're just a – and there's various forms of producers – yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely, so, for example, if you're just a consumer, it's like going over, uh, you have a garden and you just keep picking the produce. You just keep taking the produce. You don't do anything to ensure the future um, by producing. You're yeah. not adding adding the seeds to to the soil every growing season. You're not or Picking uh, the weeds. You're, you're not, not picking yeah. weeds. You're not... Amending the soil. You're not adding the cover crops. You're just, hey, there's there's some potatoes. Let's dig them up. Well, let's oh, look, look, let's look at a, a fruit, couple ears a of corn. Tree. Let's take it. If you take a fruit tree, there's no pruning done. You just keep picking apples and not doing any kind of pruning or disease control. Yep. You're just letting it do its thing. You're just being a consumer. Yep. But if you take it from the producer side, every spring you're out there, you're getting the soil prepped your you've got your cover crops or you're getting your equipment going and you're going to start putting seeds in the ground you're planting those seeds for future harvest you're ensuring that there's not anything that's occurring that's damaging your future production you're you're not planting in an area that's bad ground or going to be flooded for a good part of the year you're ensuring that there's a future harvest there i don't i don't want to like in this statement, devalue wildlife. But but when we say the terms producer, you can be a timber producer, you can be a cattle producer, you could be a, uh, a farmer and crop. therefore a crop producer. Um, 
But but if we are hunters, our crop, if you will, is 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 the game that we're choosing to hunt. Yep. But a farmer doesn't make crops if if he's not being a producer himself. And and no. I think it's it's just kind of silly for us to sit back and say well when i'm buying a bow or i'm buying gun ammo guns whatever that i'm just doing my part everything else is just going to run its course like if unless we're taking action upon ourselves to be that producer on whatever land we hunt or have access to man we're just we're, we're putting too much faith, let's say, in the system. And I don't want to get political here in the whole government deal and, and how much influence government should have. However, there's similarities. We just yeah. need, we need to take action to, you know, to uh, me, uh, upon ourselves to be able to produce for our own self. To me, I think, uh, and, and, and it, the ratio may be off, but this is kind of the way I look at it, is buying my you know, turkey season starts in a few days, so I'm going to buy my turkey tag. Therefore, I'm supporting turkey population in some form or another. Sure. During the holiday season, you may go to a gas station and they're like, hey, would you like to round up for this? And And it's going to whatever, this family. Well, it's not like I just adopted that family and like, oh, yeah, I got three kids. I've never met them, but I got three kids because I support them. I gave him 50 cents at the gas station. Like, yep. that's the kind of support that I feel like buying tags is anymore, where it's like, it it is supporting, but there's so many other ways you can support them. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think before we get into that discussion of, okay, how do we get here, I think we need to talk about, like, that consumer model of, of you know, and yeah, obviously silently raise your hands or whatever, but... And, and, I will say this, as we're saying these, let's say, phrases or whatever, know that we are guilty ourselves of saying these exact same things at one time or another. So it's not like, hey, pointing fingers because, hey, uh, we've both been there. But, like, that hashtag limits. You see it all over, like, Instagram and stuff like that. Like, when I, I always think of waterfowl hunting or whatever. That's just a con- more of a common thing, like, there where there's a daily bag limit, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, should that be the goal? Should should we always be focusing on limits? Like, is that is that where we should be at from a mindset, or are we just? I, I, how many how many times have we seen it here recently, of waterfowl numbers, or because um, I guess every every spring, you know, they come out. Du comes yep. out with their. Uh, nesting success and their estimation um, based on that success that they've seen up north, what hunters may be able to expect. Um, but, like, we've seen so much change in waterfowl, whether it's migration, uh, whether it is the uh, refuges, the food that they have, the water, the flooding, all these different things. And, and, and I think as a waterfowl hunter, that that theme is like so consistent of consume 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 limits 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 that we miss the fact that man all this stuff of focusing solely on the, the kill can really be detrimental because those birds think about their just their life cycle 
in a year's time frame, how much stuff that they go through and how many like stages have to be in place for right. them to be able to nest successfully, then migrate down, be enough food supply, be a decent enough winter, and then make that trip and voyage all the way back. Now, I get it. They're built for that. But what if something, you know, for, for two or three years just happens with our current numbers, uh, whether it's weather-wise, whether it's um, changes in agriculture across some regions, that can impact greatly what you're seeing there on a year-to-year basis. And, and when we're chatting about this, I want you to put yourself, like, in your collective region. Because there's some parts of the country, man, it's, you have waterfowl numbers, and it just seems like it does not end. You know, it's just a steady trick all the way north to south. But, Snow goose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of places where it's hit or miss. Or, or your region, just, just think about your region when it comes to this. Like, is there enough game if you were to hunt every Saturday and Sunday of the month that you could or should be limiting out like is is that really what's necessary if you are someone who is a hunter but classifying yourself as a conservationist at the same time is bagging your limit consistently the best thing for that species because at there's there's kind of like where the rubber meets the road if, if in my opinion waterfowl are a little different too because you can shoot them and just limits 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 and you're like ah more will come down more are going to migrate in but how do we know <laughs> that, that, that's the mindset exactly but yep. with localized populations like quail turkey deer things that aren't really migrating it's a little bit different because, you know, like I said, I kind of feel like the the with with uh, with waterfowl, they kind of have that for like the bit. Native Americans where they just kept expecting the next the next herd of bison mm-hmm. to move in, and mm-hmm. at some point years after, you know, the last herd moved through on this date, but years later they were still waiting on them. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of a different uh, kind of thing with with the with the uh, waterfowl, with yeah. the migratory species. But it's like if, if we're calling all hunters conservationists, but if we're always in search of limits in every single region across the country, that nece- that doesn't really jive with the, no. the, the term conservationist. So we need, to, we need to, again, hit that kind of pause button and think, okay, where's my mentality? Where should it be? I should be in touch with, as a hunter and as a conservationist, I should be in touch with, game bird uh, populations, migration patterns, and all these things. And if you are, man, that's fantastic. But but if you aren't, th- again, this is just, let's let's kind of consider this. And if you're in, an, in a region or a flyway or something like that where you can supply or produce a specific habitat type, vegetation type, um, that that is beneficial, that's fantastic. Then do it. But we have to be in touch. And, you know, an, another one that we always see is, like, the whole, like, uh, tag soup or, like, unfilled tag. Oh, I thought you were going to say tagged out because oh, you said yeah, yeah. limits. And yeah. I always think of tagged out because mm-hmm. yep. I didn't grow up in a in a big waterfowl area. And so it was tagged out. Hey, yeah, yeah. you get anything? Oh, I tagged out. Filled them all. Yeah. And been I'm, there. I've been <laughs> very <laughs> guilty of that. Yes. Like, when I was in college, it's oh, like, yeah. how's turkey season? Well, tagged out. It's what like, do you think, bro? Tagged what do you out. think? 
<laughs> I'm the man. Did you not know? I, tagged I tagged out, so out. I'm the man. I, I've totally, totally been there. And it takes on this, like, persona of, man, I, if, if I didn't, I did something wrong. He tags out every year. Yep, yep, I hear that a lot. And, and it's like, that is great. I am so glad that you have those experiences, but at what cost? Yeah. And, and if you are tagging out, are you still a producer? Are you putting in the other effort to make sure that you're replacing what you took? Because when we talk about, like, turkey numbers, we have with Michael Chamberlain, Brett Collier, just us discussing it with Kyle and Frank or you and I on the podcast. When you understand and grasp where turkey numbers are, as well as their reproduction rate, nesting, both nesting rate and brood rearing rates, it is it's incredible to think that the the gobbler when you're putting drawing a bead on his head, all the things that fell into place for him to be standing there in front of you full struck gobbling, it's like, yeah, <laughs> this dude is a fighter and yeah. a survivor. And and even worse than that is like, you know, we have we have a small covey of quail on the farm yeah. have the last several years. To think about how much we love quail hunting. Could you imagine, like, the, 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 uh, I can't even put myself into the position where I picture pulling up a shotgun behind a bird dog to shoot, shoot one of those birds out of that cubby. Because it's like, I mean, like, how much do you love quail? Oh, I love them. Oh, yeah, you're going out hunting. Yeah, we've got one cubby left on the farm. I am going to Um, hunt him. Damn. That's (laughs) like, yeah, like. We're going to exterminate them. Yeah. Get rid of them. Well, but but that's, the, that's the reality of it, though. If, if we're not a producer of those, sooner or later, because what we see is this habitat decline, and, and again, think of your region. Not everywhere this is happening to the same degree. However, as much as you and I travel, and us being on the road right now, as we look out the window... Habitat, I'm going to frankly say, sucks. It's terrible. I mean, it We've, is bad, guys. We're it, we, one of our favorite uh, states because of the native habitat still being more, it's, 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 it's more prevalent. more acres yeah. in, of native landscape in Oklahoma than there are in a lot of states that we yes. visit. And we're still driving by miles and miles and acres and acres of Bermuda grass, Johnson grass, overgrazed tall fescue. Yep. Um, tilled. Yep. Tilled ground. Like, it's it's very small amounts still. Or, or, or areas where we should have very few trees and it's 100% closed canopy forests in in. A lot of Oklahoma. We've been in trees for a long time right now as we're traveling down the road. And it's like, this should not be. Look at, like, study the way, let's say, the southern states, the Midwest, the Northeast has drastically changed in your region over the past 200 years. If you could see it 200 years ago, you would then be able to put together this picture of habitat degradation that we're seeing here currently right now i think if every single person listening to this podcast every single person who's bought a hunt license in the last five years could just be trans 
what do they call that? Transplanted, Ported? transported back 200 years ago to look at time the area. Travel. Time travel. Yes. Go back 200 years ago or 300 years ago and look at the landscape that they're in and then look at the amount of game and how how much it was a game-rich environment where there was all kinds. Maybe it had bison. Maybe it had elk. Maybe it had bears. Maybe it had wolves. Uh, prairie chickens. If you're at a computer. Pheasants weren't there. But yeah. <laughs> just just Google what did whatever region you're in look like in blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just Google it and start researching what that actually would have been like and dig into that because you're going to be probably incredibly surprised. at Probably what it, depressed, too, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Um, but really shocked at, at, at what has transpired over this time and we we have to keep in mind that as this has happened and and things have changed well so has our human population we've expanded we've changed so therefore the land use not only not only has let's just say the natural plant communities ecosystems they've completely transformed but but so has the our practices on the landscape and, and some of those habitat vegetation changes been certainly because of us and the lack of disturbances but like you think about farming practices in the last 40 years with technology the way it is right now and how quickly and fast-paced machinery you know I, when you look at combine in the 19 late 40s early 50s what they look like and what they can do right now? Well, yeah, unbelievable. Even just compare, even just compare to what the two-row picker that yes. was used on the on the Prairie Hollow property four years ago. It was a, I don't know, probably '60s, '70s model two-row corn picker. Yeah. There was spilled corn everywhere. It was like it's almost like we, we paid a guy to do yeah, it. <laughs> uh, did he try to put it in there, or did yeah. he try to put it on the ground? I don't know what your yield was, sir, but I think you left half of it in the field. Yeah, it, the efficiency has uh, uh, of harvesting practices wise has dramatically increased it is unreal how good by the way i think there was turkeys in that field over there um how good the machinery is the harvesting equipment the planting equipment the herbicides the spraying just precision agriculture in general is is at a all-time high and it's getting better and better every single year no longer are we really letting a lot of fields just just sit idle. Like, that's not a thing anymore, you know? No. We don't have – I know everyone's here, well, we ain't got no field edges. It's 100% true. We don't yeah. have any fence rows anymore. And what field edges or fence rows we do have has probably got smooth brome or tall fescue underneath it. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. It's really, really bad. So it's certainly important to to look at – all the changes that that have occurred, just whether it's naturally, but then as humans, we gotta we gotta produce our own food. We gotta <clears throat> that falls on our shoulders. Like get that, so we're gonna have habitat loss. But at the same time, we can't be expecting the game populations to not change because of that. Like it, it, as as long as we continue to, I guess let's say not manipulate the landscape from a benefit of the wildlife. I'm trying to things aren't gonna continue to increase for 
their beh- like on their behalf. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a game species um, that is that the population is right. Li- I guess black bears um, are rising in Missouri and a lot of states, but like uh, Virginia, I know qu- it's qu- quail numbers they're declining. Um, turkey numbers are declining. Um, rough grouse certainly declining. Waterfowl, some species declining, but overall it's relatively stable. Relatively stable, but that, uh, but it depends on what which year you ask. Which one exactly, <laughs> deer are kind of depends on the area, but with the threat of CWD, the future is unknown. Um, but and, they're and stable or a, likely th- increasing. There is a um, there's really a kind of when the dust settles. If you could just snap your fingers and go 20 years from now. If it continues down this path, the people who are going to have game populations are the people who are producers, the people who are actively managing their properties and going, I, I have to do something because, yeah, I, and, and that's kind of where you look at, you know, in the 50s and 60s when uh, game, even the 40s when, when restocking efforts were happening, they were going to places, hot spots where there was still wildlife, taking them out of there and and transplanting them everywhere to continue to expand the population. I don't think. If it wasn't for those hot spots, we would not know white t- or wildlife the way we do today. No, we wouldn't. And, and, and I don't and think anybody would want to go back to those days of we're got, we have we literally have to transplant these species back into our regions because we overhunted them so badly, so poorly. We had to self-impose regulations to slow ourselves down from doing that. No well, one wants to see populations get to that point. And I think there's a there was a a, a different uh, there would be a different level of restocking than what would occur today. So, like if yeah. you take uh, bobwhite quail, if you were to take and say, okay, we're going to start restocking quail because we have this big unit that's got plenty of quail, um, and we're going to restock them. It, diff, being different than the, the first restocking of wild turkey, I guess I should use wild turkey. Let's use wild turkey since there was a big restocking effort that most people are aware of. If you were to go back and look at that restocking effort, basically there was a little bit of habitat prep that was going on, but but there was already a lot of, a lot of areas that had relatively good habitat. Suitable habitat. If we were to go back now and be like, hey, we need to put quail on that or we need to put turkeys on that landscape – It'd be like, oh, what do we got to do? There's no brood rearing habitat. Well, we're going to have to remove a whole bunch of invasive species. We're going to have to thin the forest. Uh, well, we're going to have to burn. We're going to have to get some some native grasses out there so it's not just s- some other non-natives. There'd be a whole lot more habitat work that'd have to occur now versus when they did the initial restocking. There's a lot of states who 70s, are, are reintroducing elk back into native ranges. And I know Virginia's done it, Tennessee, Kentucky. Pennsylvania, I think Missouri. Mich- Missouri, I think Michigan's done it, um, Wisconsin, but there's a lot of states who, like, when, when they're doing that, like, the extensiveness of research that's going into finding the exact right relocation units, like, the habitat, the specifics that they're looking for, density of cover, you know, the, the human conflict back and forth between reestablishing elk into certain areas. Like, they're having to examine so much. And part of that, obviously, is uh, 
is the habitat, a huge portion of it. But, like, just the number or, or the areas in which are suitable is so limited. And, and imagine, right, if, if we continue or, or let's just say turkey populations just can dive bomb and, and go farther, farther south. My gosh. Yeah. We think don't, don't want to be about that the position. quail going, okay, well, you know what? Let's say we had to restock. Where are you going to put them where they're going to live? Well, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. There's very few places. Yep. It's, I mean, it, it's just not going to happen. It'd be so, like, well, you can do that, but it'd be just like throwing them out on a dinner plate for a hawk or yep. a snake. Or they're just not going to nest successfully. They can't yeah. brood successfully. It's just not. They might kill happen. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me a rock and I'm jumping. <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess we, we're... Bef- on, on this the trip down, we were talking about um, you know the uh, the consumer side of things right now that's actively happening in Tennessee, I believe it is, and this was like a week ago. Um, they compared um, last season to date, I guess last season's number to to uh, like, maybe, like let's just say the first week of season and the first week of season this year. They compared the two of them. And this year, hunter success is up like 50%. One, everyone's home wondering what the heck to do. They don't have to go to work. So so there's a lot of consumers out there right now, not saying that there's not producers too, but, but what if all those people who typically aren't harvesting birds are successful, which is great, but what is that going to do to that region where lots of hunters are flocking to the woods and being successful during the spring this year what's going to happen next year are are we going to see the same reproduction rates as the last five years in tennessee or mm-hmm. in in whatever region because if so man that's that's a lot less turkeys now on the landscape if we're seeing that much more success from hunters during this time when a lot of people have have the time so if you uh, have i feel time, a little bit like with all the research coming out, like with wild turkey and bobwhite quail, the numbers are declining, even rough grouse, they're all declining. It's a little bit like uh, the bison herds. Let's go back to that because that was one of the worst extinctions that we can probably all understand and, and have knowledge of in North America. There were the people that were like, we need to do something to keep these safe so we can – Make sure that they don't all die. And then there was the others who grabbed their guns and was like, i got to go shoot one before there's no more to shoot. Yeah, yeah. And right now it's a little bit like we just keep pounding away and we're not really doing anything to make sure that there's future populations. Well, uh, yeah, like like our my question is, okay, all those people who who are more successful this year in, in Tennessee, I'm not picking on them, just, just the, those are numbers that we've got. Yeah. But – all those people are, or is that same amount of people going to then be helping produce more turkeys for next year? And the answer is no. No. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, that's just the case. And I think Georgia um, year to date was like up 30-some percent of harvest compared to last year, which, again, I'm happy people are outside enjoying the outdoors, but we can't just be consuming and not being producing. We don't want to be... Debbie Downers here uh, uh, of turkey populations and quail, but we also have to look at 
things a- a- ahead of time before we get into a boat of saying, <laughs> we screwed up. Yeah, how much do you love wild turkey? How much do you love bobwhite quail? Are you willing to sacrifice a tag or a few hunts and say, you know what? I love wild turkey. And this is kind of goes back to that conservation thing at the beginning. It's like we take pride in being conservationists. Well, how much do we take pride in being a conservationist? Are we willing to hand over a tag or hand over a hunt and say, I don't really need to go kill one, but I love this animal so much, I'm willing to spend this Saturday with a chainsaw in my hand, thinning a forest or removing some invasive species. Or I'm willing to, you know, populations are really good on my farm. I'm willing to sacrifice one of my hunts to take a kid or an adult that's never been, that's probably going to enjoy it, therefore their money, then their passion and their time is going to be devoted to help me help this species. Exactly. You don't have to be a producer can give away a hunt to a new consumer who is then going to be taught to be a producer through that opportunity. So it's not like a producer isn't a consumer and a consumer is a producer. There is Everyone that listens to this podcast is a consumer most likely. Yeah. All but, you know, there might be 5% of you that, that are just Don't listening because you're, at yeah, all. You, you hunt just for the enjoyment of being out in the woods, but you're not really taking anything. Then there's, you know, a smaller amount that are actually producers. And if you and do, uh, just call us. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. We, we, we'd love to come hunt. But... You, you, you Let's can, use this this week as a as a chance to, you know, we've been on a project down in Oklahoma yeah. where we ran chainsaws. So we would hunt in the mornings and then run chainsaws during the middle middle of the day and in the afternoon. Like we were f- we were adding young forest, making miniature clear cuts in the forest to where there's better nesting, there's better habitat, there's more diversity to and where more hard mass production. We released. A ton of oaks, and there were not many oaks at all on this property. No, and so, like, we spent a good two days doing that, and we didn't even kill a turkey. All we did is go down there and be producers. We bought tags, and we cut cut trees, thin the forest. We're we're helping the future generations of of that of that area, not just the turkeys, but deer, quail, and whatever other native species around there. Even a lot of songbirds that aren't even woodland species that aren't aren't even game species. But um, that that was producing for future generations. Yep. Um, You know, younger being a younger man, I'll I'll use a story that where wasn't that many years ago where turkey numbers were really good. Man, we we shot a pile of turkey. Like I tagged out, you tagged out, my dad tagged out, Chad tagged out. Not all on the same farm, but still. not all same farm. But that spring there was a lot of turkeys, and there we, was an abundance. And we harvested, and there were abundance eight, that wanted to eight, come to a call. Yeah, which was, was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it just kept coming. Yeah, <laughs> this stuff is so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And then the next year it was like, man, you know that you're not going to significantly hurt the population by going and just shooting male turkeys right at later on in the breeding season but at the same time if you're shooting them that that one won't be there next year mm-hmm. and so well, i can think of one that ain't coming back you know what yeah, I mean? like and, it's not and so whether it's a male or female it's just <laughs> strictly is not going to be there and so you know that was a fun spring but looking back now we have to ask our quest our, our ourselves the question you know, 
if I want to ensure the future, am I willing to go, ah, this year I'm just going to shoot one turkey, and well, even though there's two others gobbling out there, I'm just going to let them, I'm just going to leave them because if I, if I go out and, and just base it off of gobbling turkeys – because, frankly, it's not fun to shoot a turkey that's not gobbling, right? That's, that's right. Um, that is 100% factual. And so it's like, well, if if there's three turkeys on our farm that's gobbling on a consistent basis, and I go out and I have two tags, I'm going to harvest those. I'm going to hunt every day until I fill those two tags. That means that one gobbling turkey is left, and the, the habitat is declining, so much so that there may not have been any um, hens that had successful nests. Therefore, two years later led to an adult tom to where now there's only one. And let's just say during that winter something happened. He, he was killed. Now there's zero. Mm-hmm. And the next spring there's nothing gobbling on your farm. There's a, that's not fun. No. No. And if that happens, and a person who was a somewhat serious turkey hunter has that experience for three seasons of no gobbling turkeys, what's the chances that that guy doesn't buy a tag the next year because he's going, there's no turkeys anyway. What's the point? Yeah. Therefore, we lost his his producing by default. Of, because of over-consuming. Well, yes, because of over-consuming, but because he dropped out and stopped hunting, we no longer get his tag dollars, his conservation support in a very minimal way, which is just by buying tags, buying gear, buying ammo. Now he's gone, gone. He's done. It's that's a that's a scary it, thought. It's it's a scary thought, but it but it's a. It's something that is occurring. Like it, it's happening. Those those that's not just a each year our uh, our overall stories. average of hunters gets a year older. We're not recruiting a bunch of young hunters like we used to. Yep. And when I was in school, a lot of guys hunted. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. now, you know, even my small hometown when I when I was in school, like high school, we all hunted. Yeah. And now, you know, talking to some of my buddies that are involved with the school, they're like, ah, not that many kids hunt anymore. I'm like, we're a tiny little town in the in the woods. Yeah. Like in the Midwest, where there's not much else to do besides hunt. Yeah. I mean, there's not. So well, I, and I I think that we we've put together the idea of producer versus consumer and and the direction or road that things could occur and and get to well obviously this podcast is hopefully just uh, just a starter reminder let's not get there let's do something about it but i think that we also have to bring up okay we've got tons of private land out there like so much we get angry or upset um frustrated with State agencies who are making regulations and things like that, right? You mean people hate the government? I've heard that before, but ah. yes. Especially around wildlife regulations, bag limits, this and that. Some regions say, I don't have enough. Or some regions say, I've got not enough tags or, or 
too many tags and you know not enough turkeys what's the deal but you know the the the, the finger always gets pointed at the state agency it's like just because you have those tags you don't have to fill them or yeah. you know they the, have the so phrase, much land only the one so that much makes land. you laugh but you're like ah it's like the joke that you shouldn't laugh at it's like they keep giving me tags i'll keep killing them yeah yeah it's like God, and that's what I said last week. Just in pass at the end of the podcast, I was like, just because your state gives you X amount of tags doesn't mean that you hunt until every one of those are filled or it's the end of the season, right? Because we're we have to have a little thought on our own. Don't let the government tell you. <laughs> you know yeah. that's scary. Yeah. Don't let them tell you. Well, you can kill two birds. Well, I'll kill two birds. Then, then. by golly, they've have they've a little told bit of self awareness. Have yeah. a little bit of awareness of your of your localized population because. It, but we have to take measure of that, and I, I think that a lot of times we 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 look at um, try and look at the fact that hey, well, I've got two tags, and and not take in the maybe the the property specific. Um, or, or your your given region, thousand acre plus around the place that you hunt is how many turkeys are there in total? Because that's the scale that turkeys are operating on, and and we have to take measure of that, take note of that before we just go out guns a blazing. Um, but the other thing is, state lands and many many portions of or government lands, let's say. Um, you know they, they occupy such a small percentage, and I think that. There are a lot of recreational landowners across the country. More and more people are buying land for the recreational purpose. But you and I both know just because a recreational landowner owns land, that does not at all mean that that habitat is good. Just because they have it for the purpose of being a consumer does not make them, or or the property is for wildlife, doesn't automatically make that property a producer. There's tons of of, uh, hunting properties we've been to that in their current state, the habitat's poor. Yeah. Like, just because, again, you, you say that it's for this doesn't mean that is actually doing its job and and being an active, active producer um, to its fullest extent or maybe even just half of its extent or possibility, we actively have to get out there and do the things that we're talking about. We have to be a full-on producer. Yeah, I think one of the things that we laugh about because you get this from almost, you know, I'd say 75% or more landowners that we talk to they'll make a comment about having buddies that call them during hunting season or oh, just before yeah. saying hey you gonna put me on a shoot you see memes on facebook oh it's yeah it's like that that one guy that calls you that one buddy that calls you and says so you're gonna put me on a bird this season right right yep. and those are Okay, so you get those calls, but then two months later when it's time to, hey, I'm going to the farm to do, remove some invasives, yep. spray out some cool season grass or burn, where are they? Crickets, crickets, because they're, they <laughs> just want to be a consumer. <laughs> those are your consumer guys. That's the, that, that's the consumer mindset. That's the model for being a consumer and not I, a producer. I, I, know, I know there's several people out there laughing right now. They're like, oh, I, I know those guys. I've yeah. got those guys. And, and it's, it's Maybe com- tag them in this <laughs> yeah, podcast. It's, Send it's it to comical. Them. And you can put the blame on us that, that we're the ones calling them out. But, but it is truthful, though. A lot of people are in that situation. The landowner invites people because they enjoy 
hunting camp and that atmosphere, but collectively everyone who benefits from the wildlife on that property need to take on that role of being the producer and not just all consumers. And, and if and you don't have time, then find another way to support it. Hey, sure. throw throw your buddy that's letting you hunt some money to go buy some herbicide or mm-hmm. uh, whatever, a new chainsaw or right. anything. It, it, there native, are lots native of ways to do it. Native grass seed or native forb seed. If, if we're a public land hunter, there are tons of ways to support um, there, there's habitat days on public land. There are um, ways that you can get in. Invasive and, workshops. Yeah, absolutely. Prescribed fire workshops. All sorts of things that you guys Localized can do. branches. If you're yep. a member of QDMA or Quail Forever, you can, you, can, you can support them with your dollars to where they can buy more whatever equipment to help private landowners. You can volunteer your time to private landowners. Mm-hmm. That's almost a challenge for you guys to say, if you just hunt private uh, public ground and you're like, well, I can't do it. I, I'm only on public ground. Okay, go find an area to where whatever species is declining more significant than the others in your part of the world. Go find a landowner, a private landowner, and say, hey, you know, try to find the one that's instead of just trying to gain access to hunt, try to gain access to go, can I please help on your part of the farm to try to create better habitat for the wildlife and i would bet you that that might open the door to possibly hunt down the road as soon as they realize how serious you are about it about about being a producer start in as a producer as you as you try and get your foot in the door and then be a consumer if you are concerned or you are um, caring about your region your area if you see someone doing something wrong Pitch or in. or a, a farmer or a landowner that's got a whole bunch of invasive species that they may not be aware of. And sure. go in, knock, knock, knock. Hey, I'm so-and-so. Uh, this is what I care about. And I've noticed that you've got a really big population or population of invasive species on your place that aren't really in the adjoining area. And I want to ensure that they don't creep out onto the adjoining area. Can I please take care of those by doing this whatever? Yeah. Whether it's through hack and squirt or cutting and treating the stump, whatever yep. it is. To maybe open that door to where you get access for hunting. There's The, the list is endless. Hard work But if speaks. you come at it from a, I care about the species so much so that I'm going to devote time to ensure future populations of it, rather than, hey, I saw a big buck in your backfield. Is there any way I could hunt? Can I go shoot him? Yeah. I, I, got, I got the tag. The state gave me an tag. extra tag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So one one thing that that is a is a problem that I don't necessarily have a solution to, but we're we're seeing this a lot and and really across probably every state, and that is the value of land is yeah. drastically climbing. It is getting more and more and more expensive to just own land. And, and so let's say you are a farmer. You've got crops or you've got cattle. You have to squeeze every ounce of juice to make lemonade. Just keep your head above water. I mean, that's why we're seeing efficiency within um, farming. You know, they've got to farm every acre that they can to be able to make payments on the land or support their family, whatever it is. Like, it is just getting so expensive to own land that wildlife in a lot of cases are they can't be 
brought into the equation of managing the land because you've got to basically think of your family first, yeah. make payments. Like, and that is tough. You think about cattle pasture. I mean, it is like all cattle. Like, yeah. there, there's you, we talk about you, what was it, clearing you, brush. You see a lot of times where if a landowner wants to, if he's trying to maximize his property, he looks at it from maximizing his product, which is, let's just say cows. He's a cattle farmer. He owns 100 acres, just for easy math. But 25 acres of that is timber. And he goes, I've got to maximize this. All 100 acres is now, I'm going to doze out the trees, and we're putting in pasture. Mm -hmm. So now we're 100% into cattle. And that's what his. That's where a hundred percent of his income's coming from because he's devoted cattle. When you could see a guy go, maybe those twenty five acres, I'll lease that out, and I'm only using twenty five acres for easy math, or let's say it's two hundred fifty acres out of a thousand acres. He could then lease that two hundred fifty acres out and make a decent lease amount of money. Lease it for hunting rights. Lease it for saying. hunting rights. So, if cattle prices are down that year, at least he's sticking with he's got an alternative he's income. got good lease and yep. and the more the more time or he or he improves the habitat or he does stuff to where there's more deer there's bigger deer there's more game you can the increase the acre. price of price per acre on the lease because now it's really good turkey and good deer so somebody's willing to pay more so so the person who would typically clear that 25 or 250 acres put cattle on it maybe that additional income can come from a different source. If you're trying to get 100% out of your property, maybe it's not 100% out of one out of one product. Maybe one it's 75% cattle, 25% wildlife, or it could even be, you know, something it could be 50% cattle, 25% crop, mm-hmm. and 25% honey, but at the same time you do cover crops, which is better for erosion control. And the overall soil, and so then you graze that other portion that's been cover cropped, and so not only you make an in- income off crop, but you're making income off off the cows who are now using the full 75 percent and holding more wildlife during the winter time because you got cover crops, therefore increasing lease rate. Bang! There's a lot of ways to make all these things happen, but at the end of the day, that landowner. He's he's worried about making that payment, and it's tough. But there are there are ways to, let's say, have a little bit different income stream on properties. And we've worked with a bunch of guys across the country who have that thought process. Like, hey, guys, I, I need to make, say, X on this property. But everything after that, I want it to be kind of wildlife devoted. Let, let's improve the efficiency of, of this whole farm, make sure we meet those requirements, and then have lots of time and acreage to play <laughs> but man I, I wish i wish it was like somehow we can decrease some land value so so we didn't have to farm so aggressively or so intensely we could let some fallow fields and and uh, succession take place or we could we could have um not every single acre devoted to pasture and uh and or maybe some of the fence rows they could be expanded out a little bit and and bases removed or cool season grasses like Whatever yeah. the situation is. To me, is. I think of uh, your cattle farmer. Maybe maybe instead of overgrazing, we do some rotational grazing. Um, we try to increase diversity in the pastures. 
Um, we try to, you know, let those fence rows grow up a little bit, get some shrubs on the landscape to where now all of a sudden you're getting quail populations. It's like, you know, I could lease out the quail hunting rights too. Yep. I, I, I'd love to see a lot of producer hats put on, let's say. Like identify, I don't want to say a label, but just more people have the mindset and the this acknowledge the fact that we need more producers. We need more consumers too. But if we completely are focusing on new hunter, new hunter, new hunter, new hunter, what what's going to happen with all the producers? Like where where are those guys going to come from? We've got to educate the importance of how to be a producer number one, and then getting people to act to actively go out and manage the landscape itself. For sure. It, it, it's, a, it's a process, but if we don't talk about it and the different mindsets that you can have, then we're probably not going to see some of these trends improve, um, therefore populations increase. But, you know, think of things within your region specifically. Yeah. I think it's so it's so it's so easy to look at, you know. Maybe there's that farm you've always dreamed of hunting and and you know buddies that have tried and they've failed. Maybe you come at it with this different approach, a conservation approach where you're wanting to improve the habitat, work with the landowner where he can make more money. Maybe you're willing to pay the lease fee, but you've got to get him to understand the 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 benefit of having you on that property. There's value you can add value to the landowner by having a producer mindset and helping them improve the habitat to where they can make money and have a reliable uh, tenant or a leasee. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely you can. I think uh, hopefully, you know, this, this whole podcast has opened up kind of the ear holes of people going, hey, you know what? That is something I'm going to try. You know, I haven't gonna... thought of that, the difference between the two. Yeah, I, I, because, oh, how do I say this? This whole, we've seen this kind of growing trend of, of consumers and not necessarily producers. Bounce around farm to farm to farm, chasing that last tag, chasing or, that or next tag. state to state to state. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, we filled our tags in this state. Let's go to the next state fill those tags. And you keep bouncing and you keep bouncing. And all of a sudden, when the year's done, you've harvested X amount of gain. And you haven't ran a chainsaw, you haven't sprayed any invasives, you haven't removed any invasives, you haven't helped on a fire. All you've done is, in in the support of conservation, is buy tags and buy gear. Yep. And, you know, that used to work, but it doesn't work now. We're declining too fast. There's too much erosion happening, and that's metaphorical erosion, not physical erosion. That's a whole other podcast yes. topic. But that's, that's just, we're losing hunters too fast, we're losing funding, we're losing game populations, and yet it's time for the, the hunters that producers. are remaining to go, you know what, let's put the shotgun down, or let's, you know, let's look at this grand scheme of things and say, I need to be more involved in producing game, not consuming game constantly. I'll say this too. There's, prob- there's, there's very few things that are, are probably as rewarding as putting in lots of sweat equity into a property and seeing the habitat change, but then the wildlife respond to that. If you are a consumer and you're actively trying to be more of a producer, when that happens and you see populations increase, you go from maybe two birds gobbling in a spring to a few years later, it's 
six birds, eight birds, whatever it is, that's a really good feeling. That like, that's a, a super feeling. satisfying feeling of, man, I, I put this property on my shoulders, and I, and I worked hard. And those are the things that you, you take as, like, success. It's not necessarily the tag that's filled. It's, it's the acres that got improved. It's the population that, that jumped. It's all these and different things. And you want to things. talk about improving your image as a hunter? Yeah. Like, maybe your wife is not really on board or doesn't really enjoy hunting. Maybe your neighbor doesn't really enjoy hunting. You want to talk about building your image to where they go, Maybe he's not just a bloodthirsty build, yeah, hunter. Yeah, building your image as a as a hunter, you know, it, it you can share these stories of, of increase if you begin to manipulate and the habitat and and become a producer, changing the landscape for the good. Be part of the solution, yeah. not part of the problem. Absolutely. All be right, a, guys. Be a producer. Yeah, and uh, once again, thank you guys so much. Very important. Go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe. Land and Legacy. A lot of videos dropping. A lot of turkey hunts on there, and we're going to be kicking off turkey season. As you listen to the podcast, hopefully there's already a few birds on the ground. Don't worry, though. We put in (laughs) months of work to ensure the future of the wild turkey. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for listening. We will catch you guys next week.